Amen. Well, it's super encouraging to be here again, and we're in something called the journey through Scripture, and we're taking one book of the Bible each week, and we're just trying to navigate through that book of the Bible, and uh, so I like to give a narrative summary of that book of the Bible, and then I like to choose a sample passage to help us get a flavor for, for that book of the Bible. And so today's book of the Bible is um, it's called Amos. It's, a really, uh, sh- it's another one of the short books of the Bible. It's nine chapters. It's about a 25-minute read, if you were to go and read the book of Amos. And uh, really, uh, it's about God's purpose for his people is to be a living advertisement. I mean, we're not talking about an advertisement on some billboard somewhere or some Instagram feed that's constantly advertising in that way. But God's purpose for us, his people, globally, would be to be a living advertisement of his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, and his justice. And so, uh, how are we doing on that? (laughs) How are we doing on being that type of an advertisement? Well, Amos tells his readers, as he's telling us, some things we need to know about how we're doing. And we have a justice problem. We're not doing so well as a people of God. Well, in this read, the Israelite readers, uh, perhaps you, as you're reading along there in the book of Amos, uh, maybe the Israelite listeners would be feeling smug about God's uh, bringing judgment against the surrounding nations. Right as you're reading through chapter one of Amos, God is talking about these surrounding nations that he's going to bring judgment to. And his wrath is going to come upon them. And we might surmise that some of those Israelite listeners and readers were thinking, yeah, God, go get them. Go send your wrath on those people. And then Amos does something incredible. Amos speaking the words of God. Amos then turns to Israel and speaks three times the amount of things towards them and accuses them of ignoring the poor and allowing injustice. And so Amos is a book about exposing religious hypocrisy. Um, They're faithfully attending the religious gatherings. they're, They're bringing sacrifices. It seems like they're doing all the right things. Meanwhile, they're neglecting the oppressed. They're neglecting the poor. And so uh, our author, as we just mentioned, it's Amos. He's writing in the time of around 760 B.C. And the background is um, he's a shepherd. <laughs> he's a, he ends up being a prophet because God speaks to him. But he's a shepherd. And he's a fig tree farmer. <laughs> Quite humble, humble living there that God ends up using uh, to speak to that person, I think the side note here is that God can speak and does speak to any of us who are his children. And so uh, another piece about the background is King Jeroboam, who's king at the time. He's the 13th king in that line of kings there in the kingdom of Israel. And he rules for about 41 years. And he's a successful military leader. I mean, he is, uh, he's winning lots of battles. He's accumulating a lot of wealth for himself and for the nation. But in the eyes of the prophets, he's one of the worst kings ever. And why is that? It's because he allows all sorts of idol worship 
to come into the family of God. And um, that ends up leading them to perpetual injustice and neglecting the poor. The specific indictment, as you read through Amos, that you end up seeing here is he's allowing people to be sold into debt slavery. Human trafficking is mentioned right here in the Bible. Um, And then they're going to deny them any legal representation. Bad enough that they're being sold, but then they're being denied legal representation. And so uh, Amos is asking these listeners, these people, he says, is this the family that was once denied justice and enslaved in Egypt? He's wanting them to remember their own story. Is this the family that God rescued from oppression and slavery? And you understand part of the, part of the intent that God is doing through Amos is he's wanting them to understand that they're unwilling to give away mercy and kindness uh, because they've forgotten that God had given that to them. Some major themes that we discover in this book is, number one, uh, exposure of religious hypocrisy. They're faithfully attending the gatherings and they're bringing sacrifices and they're just ignoring the poor. And God is not impressed at all with it. And so the point there is that their worship is disconnected with how they're treating people. You can come and you can sing. You can be the loudest one in the room singing. You can bring the most sacrifices. But if there's a disconnect with how you're treating people, you're not really worshiping God. So God says a real relationship with God will actually transform our relationships. And if you're not seeing God change your relationships with people and all types of people from all social classes, then you should question, we should question our relationship with God. The New Testament uh, correlation there uh, from Amos chapter 5 is found in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 where uh, the writer there is saying that the religiosity of the people, it doesn't fool God a bit. It doesn't fool God. You're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. God sees through all of the religious outer show. The second major theme is the accusations of Israel's idolatry. Basically, this King Jeroboam, um, and this is recorded for you back in 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, this King Jeroboam, he's, he's built two temples to rival that of Solomon's uh, there in Jerusalem, and he's placed a golden calf in each of the temples. That's amazing. That, that should trigger not only their memory, but our memory as we think back to the golden calf um, there in the book of Exodus. Since that takes place, Since Jeroboam is doing that in those two rival temples, uh, Israel accumulates even more idols. And they're worshiping gods of sex, weather, and war. They're offering sacrifices to those uh, gods. And in the prophet's view, the the, the worship of, of those type gods always led to more injustice and more oppression, according to the prophet's. The third major theme is because of Israel's repetitive idolatry and injustice, God will send the day of the Lord. God is holy, God is just, he's righteous and cannot ignore 
the injustice and their treatment of the poor. And so he's going to send uh, his justice. And so Amos predicts a, uh, that a powerful nation um, is going to come and do that. You should be thinking Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is going to do that. And Amos' prediction comes true some 40 years later. The, the fourth and final theme that, that, that I found as I was going through the book of Amos, and I invite you to discover more themes there as well, but the fourth one is God's restorative justice. God seeks to restore when he's speaking of justice. And this is the final paragraph of the book. As it unfolds, there are these historical judgment on the people of God, and we see those happening throughout the prophets. But God never intends for those judgments to be the end of the story. Those are never the end of the story. It's just a necessary step in God restoring his people and purifying his people. So God, in this last paragraph, is talking about a future messianic king. There it is again. It happens in the Old Testament, time in and time again, that there's this constant talk of a future messianic king through David's line that's going to come and bring about that restorative justice. And then he says that God is going to rebuild his family. God is going to rebuild his family of God's people, which perhaps to those original hearers of this message, surprisingly, is going to include all the nations. It's going to include the Gentiles. It's going to include non-Israelite, non-Jewish type folks. By the way, I think that's everyone in this room. And others around the world right now in present day still being brought into the family of God. Uh, this is depicted or uh, comes true in Acts chapter 15 for us. Acts chapter 15, there's this inclusion of the Gentiles among the people of God. That was breaking forth there in first century as Jesus was gathering his people. It wasn't just Jews. It was people from all nations who started to come in. And that was the original vision that God had for his people. Well, that's just a, a quick, uh, hopefully a quick narrative summary. And uh, now we'll do a sample passage. Uh, a sample passage I chose is Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And as we look at this very short passage, I'm, I'm almost certain it's going to sound really familiar to you. Many people have quoted uh, this verse, or at least the last verse. But I want to look at two questions today as we look at this sample passage. The first question is, how important is justice to God? Not what do you think about it, or necessarily what our culture might think about it, or even the way it's even defined, but what does God Think about justice. And then the second question is, how do we do justice? It's not just a word or some terminology, but how do we actually put actions around doing justice? Well, let's, uh, let's read the passage together. And I invite you to uh, look at this in Scripture with us as we read. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. God speaking through the prophet Amos says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. 
I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Well, that gets us into our first question, how important is justice to God? Verse 21, if you're looking through this and studying this with us right now, verse 21, God says he hates the what? The show. And God hates the what? The pretense. And God hates the what? The hypocrisy that's there. And that's because their worship, nothing, nothing is, God is not hating the worship, by the way. Don't, don't hear that we shouldn't be singing and we shouldn't be worshiping. God is saying that their worship is disconnected with how they're treating people. In fact, you may have some of the loudest ones in the room praising God the most, and yet they are forgetting the oppressed peoples. They're forgetting the poor. So there's a disconnect that's what religious hypocrisy is. There's an outward show and there's pretense. <laughs> there's an arrogance about it. And God is saying, I hate it. I hate it. I'm tired of it. You're not impressing me. And it's because a real relationship with God, the Bible is teaching us. Um, and by the way, if this is feeling uncomfortable, it actually should feel uncomfortable. I'm not wanting it to feel uncomfortable. But God's word through Amos, this should feel uncomfortable. This is speaking to all of us. Uh, God is saying a real relationship with God will transform our relationships. Now, as I started looking at this through the rest of the book of Amos, I realized that true worship of the creator God of Israel is synonymous with doing good. Chapter 5, if you read earlier in our chapter here, chapter 5, it says, Seek me that you may live. But then down in 14, verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14, it says, seek good, not evil, that you may live. So that's very interesting. There's some symmetry there. Verse 23, look at this. He says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I think the question, reflection question for me and you that God is asking is, when was the last time you sang to me? Let's say it again. God is asking you and me, when is the last time you sang to me? Not the words, not just trying to sing with others somewhere, but when was the last time you were actually singing to me? Like one would sing to a lover. One would sing to a loved one out of true desire to express their love for that person. Verse 24, oh, I love this verse. Verse 24 here, here, God is saying, you want to know what I want? It's, it's not all the loud symbols. It's not all of, the, all of the outward pretense and hypocrisy, but you want to know what I want? Verse 24 says, I want justice and I want righteousness. I want it to flow out of you. I want it to be rolling down the mountain. I want it to be like a flood. I want it to be like an endless river. We'll quote the verse again. I want to see a mighty flood of justice. I want to see an endless river of righteous living. Well, here's a, a brief, not quite a deep dive, but a, a, the word justice, Hebrew word uh, mishpat, <laughs> which literally means to turn things back to the way that they were. 
Let's say that again. Justice, the Hebrew understanding, the biblical understanding is to turn things back to the way that they were. It's concrete actions that you and I do to make things right. Now, just a little side note here. Uh, American justice system, the typical view of justice here in America is justice equals jail. That's usually one of our understandings of justice. Justice equals jail. When we hear that word, sort of American way to handle it is it means jail. Righteousness, what does this mean? Hebrew word, uh, zedek. Uh, This is a taking care of those in need. Taking care of those in need. Righteous, living righteous doesn't mean to try to act holy. (laughs) Act better than someone else. It's to take care of those in need. It means building right and equitable relationships among all peoples no matter what social differences we not only may have, but the ones that we do have. That's what righteous living means. This is what God is saying, I want to see. I'm not impressed by all of your hymns and songs and all these outward, he says, pretense and show. So again, our American justice system, it's, it's, from what I understand, um, it's one of the few in the world that has a, a system of retribution. That's sort of our primary way, and retribution meaning focusing on punishment in order to prevent people from doing the crimes. Now you think about our movies. Uh, I'm thinking about some of my, even ones that I've really enjoyed in the past. As I was reflecting this week, even in how our movies present that as a, uh, as, as a way that, that people go and kill the person who killed someone in their family. That's depicted in movies that we watch. But yet there's this futility of redemptive violence and vengeance. It's futile. It can't ever put the world back together. And that's what justice, restorative justice, God is hoping to do through his people, is putting the world back together. That's the part that we're to be playing in this. As Amos, our author here and speaker, talks about this religious hypocrisy. And most other people on the planet, justice justice is about putting things uh, back back together. In the ancient Near Eastern understanding of justice, we need to know that in their understanding of justice, it's that the world has been torn apart. People truly are suffering because the world has been torn apart. Sin has entered the world. And it's causing you and I and others to feel arrogant and it's to feel better than someone else. And it's to treat people harshly. And so their understanding of justice is to, where are we putting the world back together? I found this interesting too, uh, an article I read this week about how the Eastern world understands this, is that the judge, think, think of like in a courtroom, the judge is not only the ones who make the decision, in the Eastern world, but the judge is also the restorer, the the one who makes sure that the action is carried out to restore things. You understand the difference there? It's not just some top-down in a courtroom making a decision for justice. But justice is a judge saying, I'm going to restore things also. So this, this should shape what we think about reparations. 
This, this should truly begin to get us thinking and having conversations and moving in that direction as we begin to see how justice really matters. Justice deeply matters to this God. And, and my takeaway from Amos is God is saying that it, you, you think you have a relationship with me, but you don't have a relationship with the, with the poor around you and you don't have a relationship with the oppressed around you, then maybe you don't have a relationship with me. That's quite an indictment. That's something to think about. That's something to pray about. And many of us, as we're listening to that, there's a continuum here of how we even need to hear what was just spoken. What does that mean for you? Zechariah, another prophet, which we're going to be getting to weeks from now. Zechariah chapter 7 God is saying, show kindness, show mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So explicit, so, so openly clear what God thinks about justice. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors God. Oops, we're starting to see something right there that God is identifying with the poor. Not the top in society, but the bottom of society. God is identifying with those people. Proverbs 19, verse 17, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the poor, or lends to the Lord. Jesus would even say in the New Testament, you clothed those without clothes, you, you fed those without food, you were clothing me. You were giving me food. Jesus is identifying with those people. And, and by the way, you, you probably know this from your own study of all religions, but this is the only God in the world only God among all religions that stands and identifies with people at the bottom in that way. The gods of all the cultures and past history, little g gods, were always identifying with the top echelon. Those were the ones with power. This God, the God that Amos is representing, the God of the Bible is saying, no, no this is a different type God. So I'm curious for any of my friends that has ever walked away from Christianity, <laughs> did you know that this was at the heart of it? <laughs> did you know that a God of justice like this, restorative justice, was at the heart of Christianity? We'll look at our second uh, question here. How do we do justice? If you're like me and you're action-oriented, you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Well, the book of Amos, God's plan isn't just to forgive them when they mess up. And that's us. That's you. That's me. We need that forgiveness when we mess up. But it's to transform them. It's to change them. That they would live like they're the people of God. We're, back, we're right back to how do you do justice? Well, name your own hypocrisy. Name it. Name it at times that you're claiming to be something. And yet your actions don't, my actions, our actions don't quite add up to what we're saying. 
How do we do justice? Americans usually say, we need to have a meeting. Let's have a big brainstorming session on how we should do justice. We need the right plan. We need machinery. We need technology. We need social policy. We need certain tax laws. Let's have another meeting. Can we just have another meeting about it? Globally, it's never been about not knowing what to do. I think we don't want to do justice. Sorry. There's, there's, there's our heart, uh, perhaps, all over again. It's that we don't want to do it. I think people of God, Old Testament, New Testament, even present day, we have a justice problem. We struggle. We don't, we don't want to do it because in doing it, it, it will cost me something. Our comfort always comes on the backs of people in some way or another. And again, by the way, it's not to say don't enjoy that comfort. Uh, Don't enjoy a good gift that God has given you. It's saying if that's coming at the cost of you not caring for or even noticing the poor and oppressed around you, you got a problem. A culture that takes advantage of people in need. What's up with that? What's going on there? All of the wealth and security and stability that you and I crave and long for comes at a price on someone else. So let me just say what doesn't work. All of what we just said doesn't work, but I'll add a a few more. Simply believing in the goodness of humanity. Humans are good. Humans can create. Humans are smart. Humans can network and resource, of course, but simply believing in the goodness of humanity and ignoring our impulses for greed and for, uh, for evil, that's just not going to work if we're that naive about it. Here's something else that doesn't work. Any religion or secular morality, I'm not just talking to the church here, I'm talking about even a secular morality that tries to motivate people to do justice through duty or self-interest. I think both of those will fail. You could be around a group of people, it could be a church, it could be some some secular organization, and it's all about, hey, let's pat each other on the back, we're all doing great. Look at all the people we're serving. Um, Or, hey, this is just your duty. Telling yourself that you're a good moral person, or maybe even Twitter shaming others who aren't doing as much as you. Well, what does work? does work. Mining your study of the Bible, I, I've, I've noticed three ways that the Bible talks about doing justice. You've just been reading it, and you've probably seen the same three ways, and I'm sure there are more. But the first way the Bible talks about doing justice uh, is equal treatment. That's the first thing, equal treatment. Racial and social equity is in the Bible. <laughs> Let's just be very clear. It's in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 22, it says, Have the same law for foreigners and immigrants as you do for the native-born. Equal treatment. Exodus chapter 23 talks about having no bribes. God hates bribes. Why is that? Because the poor, they don't have money uh, to pay for the bribes. That's why. That's one of the many reasons why. The Old Testament is all about share your food, share with the hungry, the immigrant, the refugee comes to you. You're supposed to give them shelter and food. 
So equal treatment, that's the first thing I see. Second thing I see about doing justice is a special concern for vulnerable populations. So equal treatment for all. Yep, got that one. Check. Next level is special concern for the vulnerable populations among us. And the Bible names those as widows, orphans, oppressed. Those are people of special concern. It's advocacy. It's advocacy. It's learning to be a voice for those who don't have a voice. It's learning to use your position of power and of influence and networking ability and all the gifts that God's been given to you to speak on behalf of someone else. I find it interesting that the Bible doesn't say in these verses there in the Old Testament, speak up for the men. Rather, it says speak up for the widow. It doesn't say speak up for the families, but it says speak up for the orphan. It doesn't say speak up for the successful. It says speak up for the poor. The third element I see here in doing justice is to live generously. To live generously. Not just your money. I mean, we, 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 knew, we knew that one, right? We knew financially, sure, live generously, but to spend yourself. How about spending yourself? How about some alone time with the Lord and, and even just asking the Lord, Lord, direct me in, in, in reading Amos, right? What, what am I supposed to, number one, feel, see, do? What are you asking of me? Speak to me, Lord. Job chapter 29 and 31, Job there, as he's reflecting, he says, if I treated my gold and money and bread only as if it were my own, I'd be in sin. I'd be in sin if I thought just my own life, my own stuff, my own solitude, or my own fill in the blank for yourself. If it's all about you, really? Now we come full circle again with Amos's and God's own passion and hatred for religious hypocrisy. God says, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. American approach. I know I keep going there a little bit here with America. Uh, the American approach is, I work hard. I worked hard for it. It's mine. I deserved it. Those, I'm sorry those people are poor, but they, they just ought to work a little harder. By the way, that's not the heart of God. Go back and review the first part of the sermon uh, or go back and read Amos or in fact the whole Old Testament. Let me read a, a, a section here of Isaiah chapter 55. I'm just going to read it out loud and hey, we're in church. Uh, we're going to read the Bible a little bit out loud together. Uh, Isaiah chapter 58. And I just want you to hear. I want you to sort of absorb God's very character. God says, my people act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn more about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want me to be near and to be near me. They say, we have fasted. Why aren't you impressed with us, O God? We have even been hard on ourselves. And you don't even notice it. God says, I'll tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? 
This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress up in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this pleases the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want, says the Lord. Free those. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression you have on others. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will, then you will be known as a rebuilder and a restorer. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. There's a lot there. Let's close here with just a few more thoughts on God identifying with the poor and the oppressed. John Stott, a quote from John Stott says, in a, in a world of injustice, how could you believe in a God who's immune to it? He says, I can't believe in a God without the cross. Once again, there's no other religion. This is the plea. This is, this is the plea, the, the, the invitation from, from Amos the prophet and, and the preacher would, would, would say, God speaking to you, dear listener, there's no other religion in the world that said God experienced poverty and injustice. This is the only God among the gods saying, I am acquainted with the poverty and the injustice. Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, became poor. He was born in a feeding trough in a barn. <laughs> Jesus, when dedicated at the temple, you remember his parents gave two pigeons. Remember that offering that was given by his parents? I mean, that is an offering given by the poorest of the poor. Jesus wandered almost homeless in his earthly life, saying, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And Jesus, at the end of his life, rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, ate that last meal in a borrowed room, and even his last garment was stripped of him, and he was buried in a borrowed grave. Jesus identifies with the poor. 
Jesus identifies with the oppressed, with those who have been tortured, imprisoned, and put to death unjustly. That's their God. That's your God. So the good news is for us today here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Our wealth, our wealth is in him. He took on our poverty so that we could experience wealth in God by being viewed as righteous, even though we know we're not. That's what will get us doing justice. These conversations are going to have to continue. We're going to need to be having more and more conversations as we as a church and you and I and us as God's people listen to God and learn more about this God who is a God of restorative justice. Let's pray right now for the Lord to lead us forward. Lord, help us, first of all, in just repent of our hypocrisy. There there may be friends that we need to apologize to on behalf of the church. Friends of ours that, that have no problem with you, Jesus, but they hate the church because of the hypocrisy, the pretense, the show. But God, we want to be those people that you lead us right now to repent of our hypocrisy. Saying that we know you uh, and, and, and that we love you, but yet simultaneously we don't know and we don't love the oppressed peoples around us. Forgive us, Lord. Change us. Help us see you, God, as a God who identifies with the poor and the oppressed. And let justice flow through us, restorative justice flow through us as a flood and as an endless river. We need your help. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.